Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Hello. Back we are on this summer night in the Pacific Northwest where we have now uh, crept back down into the upper 90s after several days in the triple digits. I hope all of you are safe and sound. Tonight on the program... I'm really, really fascinated with the direction that we're going to be headed. You know, the internet has been buzzing. If you don't know, we're going to catch you up to date on what they've been buzzing about. Rampant speculations about what is happening underground at CERN in Switzerland. On the border with France there. Underground, the Large Hadron Collider. It's been fired back up recently. It is firing particles at each other at 99.99% of the speed of light. And that is leading many to wonder what could actually be going on. Now, when the Large Large Hadron Collider started smashing subatomic particles together in 2010, there was panic that this was going to create a black hole and that it would suck everything in around it of course that has not happened there's actually been some pretty significant discoveries that the large hadron collider uh, has made in 2012 an elementary particle named the higgs boson was discovered in late 2018 that machine was shut down for maintenance and then running with even more energy than ever before in a test run that happened this past April. It set a new record accelerating beams of protons to a higher energy than ever before. Now it's running for real with more energy. And it has been actually running for a couple of weeks. It's going to be running for four years before the cycle will repeat. They'll turn it off for some maintenance. 
Not long after, though, after firing it back up, three new subatomic particles were identified by scientists. Not only are people worried about being sucked into a black hole, but now they are entertaining things like um, the gates to hell or demonic portals, doorways to the multiverse. And actually, in the past, there have been some people who have unsuccessfully sued CERN, claiming that what they are doing is not safe and it poses risks. Like I said, unsuccessfully trying to do so. Now, the show Stranger Things, whether you're a fan of that show or not, whether you agree with the politics of that show or not, I have enjoyed that show particularly this last season I thought it was it was one of the better seasons so if you didn't like you know the first season or the second season and you didn't stick with it you don't have to take my opinion but no matter all that the show in particular we have to give it credit because it has reintroduced the idea that it is possible to unlock untold evils from another dimension. The show popularizing many of these concepts like an upside down, which we became to to known uh, to know early in the season or in the series. And on the finale as it was called of season 4, a doorway into hell. In that show, just a b- bit of a background here. For those who don't know, or or maybe uh, have have forgotten, because it's been a while since you know that that first season, the keys are these machines that were developed by the Soviets that could open gates to the upside down. Think of it basically as stepping inside to another parallel universe i guess now when activated it fires a high powered energy ray that could open a doorway between worlds at least that's the premise of it and as we heard on the finale a doorway into hell is what it is being called so honored to welcome back to the program tonight to talk about what is really going on at cern with the large hadron collider Dr. James Beecham is a full-time physicist who is based full-time at CERN and looks for new particles and phenomena. He is a postdoctoral researcher with the Atlas Group of Duke University, one of the teams that discovered the Higgs boson in 2012. And we welcome him now to the program. Dr. James Beecham, welcome back to the show. Good to have you here. Sounds like he is not quite back with us here, so uh, we'll get him back. What is very, very fascinating is the work that is going on. Hi, Dr. Beecham. Hi. No, I did not get sucked into a time portal. Don't worry. I was wondering what, what might have happened to you, uh, but you uh, you look absolutely fantastic for it being, what, oh, dark 30, middle of the night, other side of the world. Middle of the night here, yeah. Middle of the night here in Switzerland. And and the audio is fantastic. It's just amazing the technology that uh, that, that exists here. I'm I'm amazed by it every single day. So, uh, have you watched Stranger Things? No, I have not. 
Have you heard of the premise? <laughs> Indeed, I have. Yes, I'm, I'm, I've. It's one of those shows that's ubiquitous. You can't get away from it. So whether you watch it or not, you are aware of what's going on there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of some of the plot lines that have been going on and a lot of the discussion around there for sure. This doorway into hell, as they call it, uh, you know, this is some very, very interesting stuff here. Um, and I guess at the premise, is it possible to use, uh, you know, high-powered energy devices such as the Large Hadron Collider to tap into this uh, you know, through a doorway, I guess? So the short answer is that that question is incoherent, and I'm not trying to be combative or anything because I love the show. Thanks again for having me on. It's a lot of fun every time. Um, is that the concept of hell, the concept of something like that is an invention of particular humans, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, and they're postulating something that literally cannot exist. It's fine that people like to, you know, take inspiration from these concepts. They'd like to find morals in, in, in stories that were written a long time ago. But it's really something that we don't even know what the concept of that means. What does it mean for this, this space to exist? What is this space? Where does it exist? What, you know, where physically is it located? None of these questions have any kind of coherent answers. And that's, necessary for the people that believe in these kinds of concepts because you know to be clear the difference between you know because you bring up the concept of hell this word hell the difference between science and religion at the very end of the day is that science bases all of its conclusions based upon evidence based upon observations that we make and from those observations we then can make the current best conclusions about the world around us religion is the complete opposite you are asked to accept the truth of things in the complete absence of evidence for those things because that's the concept of faith if you did not have and religion you cannot have religion without faith therefore if you had evidence for your beliefs you would not have faith, therefore you would not have religion. So you necessarily have to believe in things that sometimes they don't even have a definition. So this concept of the hell, the concept of hell doesn't even really have a coherent definition, and especially a co consistent definition amongst different traditions. So the short version is when you ask that question, I hear it from as a scientist, I ask I hear it almost as though James, is it possible to use the Large Hadron Collider to blah, 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 like the words themselves don't make any sense. So that's, again, not, I'm, trying not, I'm not trying to be combative. I'm not trying to be dismissive because I understand that these things are very, very uh, important for a lot of people. But from a science perspective, they just don't make any sense. And also, like, what, what does it mean for, like, we, we can't, I don't even understand what these words are when, when we say these kinds of things. The Large Hadron Collider is a particle ex experiment is a science experiment it's the largest experiment in human history and it does stretch our understanding of the universe it stretches our understanding of the basic fundamental rules of the universe but it can't do science fiction things it can only do science things well because people hear about these things uh you know these machines and they see them on the television shows and they right. hear them they're referred to as the upside down or a doorway into hell and so i think it's important mm -hmm. to have this conversation and understand if it's even possible yeah no i agree it's a very important conversation to have but you know you, know, you have to see it from the perspective of the people that do the science right i mean we love the research that we do and it's fascinating and all its cap, you know capacities and all the you know the, the parts of it are they're so wonderful and like the intricacy of the science and you know the little things that we can measure about this higgs boson particle that you uh, that you mentioned all the little things that we still have to learn about it and it's just it's sometimes a little bit 
baffling that people are focused on these things that don't have anything to do with the science whatsoever. Um, it is a fascinating conversation. And that's, of course, why we're here to have it. Um, but the science at the end of the day is way more interesting than any of the sort of speculative stuff that could uh, that come out of it. So, you know, at the end of it, I, you know, which is, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I totally, uh, you know, understand this, where, where the urge comes from. And so the way to best, the best way to think about it is this. So what would it mean to open up a portal? Okay. First, what I would have to do is I would say, number one, I don't even know what the concept of hell means. I don't understand this. I don't, there's, there's no way that, you know, like I said, there's no consistent definition of, of where this place is. There's no de- consistent definition of what it entails. Also, perhaps it might not be one- an actual uh, definition of, of a place actually hell itself but it could be a place where it it could be considered hell on earth because of events that are happening there so uh, Mm -hmm. i guess maybe bringing it back to just uh, maybe not a portal to hell but just a portal period right so possibilities okay that's a good yeah absolutely and the only reason i keep you know mentioning the concept of hell is because you brought it up earlier so yeah okay it doesn't matter some place some thing some concept of a portal what does this mean so let's postulate that there is some other place in a way, I don't know, whatever that means. You know, there's some kind of some, something that's parallel to our existence, right? We talk about, you know, parallel worlds or parallel universes, these kinds of things. And science fiction does this all the time where you have timelines that branch off and somebody has one timeline that's parallel to another. And sometimes they get entangled, things like this. Um, at the end of the day, what does that mean for us as humans? So we, currently all share this one timeline, right? We're all in this one universe together and we have very clear understanding of what the past, you know, uh, happened yesterday. I can remember what happened yesterday. I can also look in the newspaper and I say, oh yeah, that did, that thing did happen. I have verification for that. So we, we share this shared reality. So what does it mean for some other thing to exist and what does it mean to open up a portal to it what we have in our heads is like what we see in science fiction movies and maybe in stranger things they depict it in a different way you can go to things like stargate you know sg1 these kinds of uh, shows where somehow somebody does something that's sort of mysterious and they open up like a circle thing and then people go through the circle and somehow they're in some other realm and maybe that's a different part of the universe but maybe it's also you know some new space for us to be able to do things like that, we have to specify what we mean in the science. And in terms of what we mean in the science, it's basically impossible for us to think about what that means. Like, I don't even know what it means to say that I'm going to open up a portal to other, to other, uh, you know, some other dimension, some other kind of thing. There are real scientific ideas with it that we deal with at CERN, for example, that could be other dimensions, extra dimensions of space, of space, but these are not necessarily you know, uh, they're, they're not going to going into realms that are different from our universe. They're just a part of our own universe that is somehow hidden to you and I. Maybe that's what you're getting at, and I'm happy to talk more if you'd like. Yeah, I guess it, it, it might be appropriate now to discuss uh, what is actually going on at CERN. What is happening with the Large Hadron Collider? Uh, since it has been, uh, I, I guess, fired back up from, from this, uh, you know, hybridation period, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so right now we are, like you mentioned at the top at the top of the show, um, right now we're in a very exciting time because we have been in a kind of shutdown and maintenance mode for several years now, and it was extended because of COVID, so a lot of us are very frustrated, not frustrated, but we all have been championing the bit for more data. And so finally, just a few weeks ago, hooray, champagne, applause, and we were managed to, uh, we, we, we got back to uh, stable collisions, we call it, where we take these tiny particles and smash them together. But the short version of, not short, it's the version of what the Large Hadron Collider actually is, for those still wondering, in a concrete sense, the Large Hadron Collider is a 27-kilometer circular tunnel here on the border of France and Switzerland, about 100 meters underground. And in this tunnel, we use these enormous superconducting magnets that we have to keep colder than the vacuum of outer space. And we use these to accelerate tiny particles called protons. And you're all made mostly of protons and some other ones too. But we take these tiny particles called protons and we accelerate them faster and faster to almost the speed of light. As you mentioned, something like 99.999999% of the speed of light. And then at four, and they go in two opposite directions around this 27-kilometer circular tunnel. It's about 17 miles for those of you in the U.S., based in the U.S., they go opposite directions, and then at four points on this ring, we bend these two sort of beams together. You can kind of have the image in your head of two laser beams going in different directions, but they're not laser beams. At four points on this ring, we bend these beams together, and these protons smash into each other. And the place where we smash them into each other, we build an enormous detector because quantum field theory magic, it's not actually magic, but uh, really interesting stuff is going to happen. A bunch of stuff will fly out from the collision. We want to take a record of all the stuff that flies out from there. And the reason that's important is because those points where we are smashing the protons together, we're briefly recreating the conditions of the universe as they were just a fraction of a second after the Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago. Because understanding what was happening back then, which we don't fully understand, understanding what was happening back then will help us explain the universe that we see now and could help us answer some of the biggest open questions in science, such as what is dark matter? What, uh, why is gravity so weak compared to the other forces of nature? Why is our universe made of matter rather than antimatter and a bunch of other more arcane ones? So that's what we do. That's what the machine is. And at the end of the day, it's a science experiment that is utilizing the highest energy that humans have ever used in a part collider to explore this 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 you know time period in our universe to understand the universe a little bit better today would you mind then putting some of those myths to rest um one of them being that you know we're it's going to force us to get sucked into a black hole that we're ripping open a portal in space time and i mean you can go on and on and on but can you kind of put some of those to rest for us yeah, it's wonderful because I've I've been you know speaking in public and doing a lot of uh, you know science storytelling for so long that I feel like I've heard all of the different possible you know end of the world scenarios of the the conspiracy theories. It's really great. I always like it when I hear a new one though, so I'm happy to hear new ones. Um, so the first one that you mentioned is is the Large Hadron Collider going to open up a black hole? Uh, and this is really definitively no. This is never going to happen. So the thing that we think about when we have a black hole is you know these enormous vortex vortices in space that are sucking in. And everything around it, right? In the middle of our galaxy, there's enormous black hole. It's the thing that keeps everything, you know, spinning around it like, like we have right now. And that's never going to happen at the Large Hadron Collider. We'll never be able to make a normal black hole. You have to keep in mind, you know, someone might say back to me, but James, you said you're just using the highest energy that anyone's ever used. The, key, the thing to keep in mind is that we use a very high energy at the Large Hadron Collider, but it's the key phrase in that is by humans, 
because the universe has much higher energy collisions happening all the time around us. In fact, just a few miles above your head. If you were to go into the upper atmosphere right now, there are cosmic rays coming in from outer space all the time that are coming in at extremely high speeds and energies, and they're smacking into the, upper, the atoms in the upper atmosphere. And as they smack into those atoms, they send down this cascade of particles that, is, uh, that are lower energy that are constantly raining through us and through your body every second through your head you have about one particle called a muon coming down from one of these cosmic ray collisions. And these initial collisions up in the upper atmosphere are much higher energy than the Large Hadron Collider could ever achieve. So if, the, if one of these collisions has never made, and these have been happening for billions of years, if one of these collisions has, not made, has never made a black hole that's sucked in the Earth, then the Large Hadron Collider is never going to make a black hole that's sucked in the Earth either. <laughs> um, one of the other ones is just to, you know, to finish the thought, one of the other ones that's really fascinating, we can talk about this more at length, if you like, is this notion of, I've, I've heard a lot over the years about time skips and people are worried about that the Large Hadron Collider is somehow, these high energy collisions are somehow skipping, skipping you know, the, t- turning our timeline into another timeline. And this is responsible for what people refer to as the Mandela effect, which you probably heard before, yeah. you've heard about before. Yeah, so this is the, for those that don't know, this is the phenomenon that, for example, some people, when they hear about something in history, and if someone asks them, it's like, oh, how did Nelson Mandela die? And they say, oh, well, it's really sad that he died in prison. But that's not, then they go look on Wikipedia and that's not what happened. But then they say to themselves, well, wait a minute, I remember it that way. How is it possible that it could be different? Some people then claim that this is because at some point something happened to switch humanity into a different timeline where something now, there's a different timeline where the actual history is something different, but you still remember the old timeline. Okay, this ha- obviously has nothing to do with science. This is, this is a psych, or at least has nothing to do with physics. This is a psychological phenomenon related to the way that humans process information. And my psychologist friends, they're the ones that study that. Physics has nothing to do with physics because it's, a, again, the way humans uh, think together in groups and the way that, they, the way that pr- information is processed and then how, after years go on, pro- information is then contextually sort of uh, attached to other parts of things that we remember. Your memories themselves uh, that for specific things can, in fact, get uh, uh, changed a little bit. So that obviously has nothing to do with physics, and it's nothing that we can do here. And you know, the, the, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is something that is potentially fascinating, but it's nothing that 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 particle physicists can control. Because what it, what would it actually? Again, this is actually goes back to the question that you asked at the top of the top of the show: Is it possible that somehow the Large Hadron Collider or any big machine, a particle collider, could somehow open up a new portal? Well, number one, I, I don't know, really know what that means. We do use the word portal in some ways in science, but it's not specifically what we mean, like in the science fiction context. But also, what does it mean to make a time skip? What would it mean to like change a timeline? It doesn't mean anything. Like the, the concept doesn't mean anything for science. What you'd have to, you know, there's no possible way for us to even do this. Partially where this comes from, at least in my experience, where people, you know, they get kind of excited about this and they start to think, is it possible that CERN could make a time skip? Is because there's a lot going on. The rules of the universe down at the very smallest possible scale, they start to get weird from something called quantum mechanics or quantum physics, which I'm sure you know quite quite a lot about and you've talked about before in the show. But quantum physics has these very particular rules that are so kind of counterintuitive to you and I, 
And because they're count, because they're counterintuitive, they we then start to put a lot of our own kind of uncertainties and our own sort of uh, uh, unknown things onto these rules. But at the end of the day, we can't control the rules of quantum mechanics. Like you and I can't do anything with quantum mechanics. Hold that thought. My guest is Dr. James Beecham. He's a particle physicist at the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. His website is jbbeacham b e a c h a m dot com, and we'll have more with him. Him coming up, doorway into hell on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Paranormal News. After much speculation, Russia said this week they were leaving the International Space Station, undocking for a final time in 2024. That announcement caught the State Department off guard. I understand that we were taken by surprise uh, by the public statement that went out. Uh, I'm not aware of uh, I'm not aware that uh, discussions on on this front have started yet, but would need to refer you to NASA for that. Spokesman Ned Price called the situation unfortunate, but not so fast. Just days later came reports that Russia will stay until its own space station is up and running, which is planned as early as 2028. Russia has hinted at doing so for several years and made threats to pull out earlier this year in response to being sanctioned for invading Ukraine. The space station is designed in a way that makes each nation dependent on each other. Congress this week approved an extension to operate the ISS through 2030 if the other partners, Japan, Europe, and Canada, agree. I'm George Henry, Paranormal News. discovered three new particles which could help us learn how our universe was born and what its future looks like. Increasing the energy of the beam gradually up to a record energy uh, that have never been achieved before in any particle accelerator. Up to now this is of course an important day for us because the beams reach this new energy for the first time. But it's only the, the start of a very long commissioning period which will bring us to actually collide the two beams for the experiments and provide the highest energy collisions which should happen about uh, six to eight weeks from now. Researchers are hoping to discover dark matter. It's a discovery that scientists say could resolve some of the great mysteries of the universe. A doorway between worlds. A doorway, they say, into hell itself. Are you hearing this? They're now calling it a doorway into hell. Like a trip through a time warp every Saturday night. Around and around we go. Into the Paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Fascinating to think about it. Bringing us back down to the... uh I guess to reality is Dr. James Beecham tonight, a particle physicist. 
at the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. They're on the French and Switzerland border, uh, deep below the ground. And he's been telling us uh, what it's been up to. They've made some miraculous discoveries, and we still will talk about that. But let's get back to Dr. Beecham, who was telling us uh, about the break, about the Mandela effect, and about time slips, and about quantum mechanics, and how physics kind of plays a role in all that. So please continue, Dr. Beecham. Yeah, I was just, uh, I think I was just talking about how, you know, I I very much enjoy having the conversations about the kind of speculative stuff uh, about what could, you know, uh, surrounding our research at CERN and what particle collisions could do. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of the, the misconceptions come from the fact that deep down what you know what's going on with individual particles in the universe and in, in our collisions is that the rules of quantum mechanics take over when you get down to such a small level and those rules are kind of counterintuitive to you and I um, uh, you know for for example if i take uh, if i take an electron and your body is swarming with electrons they're all around us i take an individual electron and i were to zoom in very very close to it and i put it right next to a physical barrier something you know an actual physical barrier there is actually a prob- possibility that I could just measure the electron as existing on the other side of the barrier. It's a physical barrier. There's no reason for it to be able to go through there. But because of the rules of quantum mechanics, it's a statistical probabilistic nature. It could actually appear on the other side of this wall. And that's obviously not possible for you and I, right? It's very good that, you know, if I'm leaning against the door of a high-speed train, it's very good that there's a zero probability that I'm ever going to be measured as being on the other side of that door, right? It's a very good thing. But this can totally happen with quantum mechanics. And another example, when two particles collide at such high energies inside the Large Hadron Collider, this quantum world takes over. And in the quantum world, these rules are very different. And they're not, particle collisions are not like car collisions. They have very different rules. When two particles collide at almost the speed of light, the quantum world takes over. And in the quantum world, the two particles can actually cease to exist. And a new particle is created in their place, which lives for a tiny fraction of a second before then disintegrating or decaying into particles that then hit our detector. So imagine a car collision. If the two cars vanished upon impact, a bicycle appeared in their place, and then the bicycle exploded into two skateboards, which hit our detector. Well, don't hit our detector with skateboards, please. It's very expensive. But you know that's the kind of thing that can actually happen at the particle level. You have to keep in mind when you get down to very, very small scales like this, the rules of, of nature that take over because of this quantum mechanics, they start to that you maybe have heard of this thing called the wave particle duality, right? So if I have an individual particle like an electron, one way for me to think about it moving through the universe is that it's a little chunk of something, right? I have this sort of background emptiness of the universe and the electron is this little chunk of something moving through space. But in fact, you can, it's sort of like a little pebble or a BB or something like that. But in fact, what you have to think about it instead of is not a little chunk of something. Quantum mechanics uh, necessitates that we think about this little thing, like this little electron, is actually sort of a little vibrating wave packet. It's like it actually is like a sort of a, a little localized wavy thing going on. And and you know that th- th- this is a way for, to think about these particle collisions is that we know, for example, if you see an enormous, you know, from above, like a drone shot of a, a completely placid lake, somebody drops uh, a big rock in one side and a big rock on the other side. These two waves will sort of start to they start to uh, reverberate out from the lake. And once the waves get to uh, on top of each other, they can start to they will start to overlap and interfere. They can interfere constructively or destructively. And in the case they, in, they, they interfere constructively, they become a new wave. So therefore, you can think about when we collide two particles, these sort of little wave packets can kind of overlap each other and they can create a new wave packet. 
that's one way to think about why these kinds of rules down at the little particle level are so different from what you and I, you know, kind of intuitively have evolved as a species to understand because they're very, very different. Also, time gets into this as well. We can go and we can have a much longer discussion about how time figures into all of this. But essentially, this is where the kind of speculation comes from, because there's a lot of things built into quantum mechanics that are very counterintuitive to you and I, which makes sense that some people would then say, well, wait a minute, if we can, you know, if we are creating new little waves, if we're also playing with time down at this little level, because we can't specifically measure like time at a very specific, at a, at a, you know, at an infinite amount of precision, maybe we're kind of skipping time into different time lines or something like that. I understand where the speculation comes from, but at the end of the day, it's just nothing that we can control. It's nothing that, that humans can actually affect in any way. All right. So what do we know about these new particles? I understand that there were these three particles that were discovered shortly after uh, run three started. Um, well, so run three has started just now. We haven't discovered anything yet in this new day. That's what's so exciting about this current run that's just started. It's called run three is that we're starting to take new data and it is technically at the highest energy. Like you mentioned, a new record, world record, a hooray, good for us. Um, we now have a slightly higher record than we had before of the highest energy anyone's ever used. 13.6 TeV versus 13.0 TeV. So it's a nice it's a nice little bit of extra extra energy. Um, but the particles that you're talking about that were discovered just a few years ago, um, they're fascinating and they're really interesting from a scientific perspective. Um, and these are ones that are composite particles, if you will. Let me explain what I mean. The real holy grail, the, the things that we're, we're looking for in my field in particle physics is we're looking for new fundamental elementary particles. These are pieces, you know, again, little chunks of something, or little wave packets that don't have anything else inside them. And this is very different from a lot of the other particles. So, for example, I said that we collide protons right now. In the, we have these two beams of protons in the Large Hadron Collider. A proton is not an elementary particle because there's actually stuff inside of a proton. If you look closely enough at a proton, we know that it's a very stable bound state of at least three particles called quarks that are held together with these other springy particles called gluons. I didn't come up with the name gluon. Some joker back in the day came up with the name gluon. But these are held together in a stable... <laughs> yeah, Klingon particle. That would be great. I'm sure that if we had our, our druthers, that we, somebody will definitely name a particle the Klingon. But these little protons, inside the proton, you have these smaller particles. And then you ask, is there stuff inside of a quark, for example? The answer, as far as we know, is no. It's an elementary particle. The same for an electron. If we ask the question, what's inside of an electron? The answer is nothing, as far as we understand. We model it, in fact, as a, something that has zero volume. It has no size, but it can still have properties like you know, charge and spin and energy and mass and things like this. This is, again, this is the nature of quantum mechanics, um, is that these... The rules that govern these particles are very different from the ones that rule that govern you and I in these kind of big bulky bodies that we live in in this macroscopic world. But what we're looking for are new versions, new particles, new species of these elementary particles that we've not seen before. The Higgs boson is one of these. That was the discovery in 2012. My colleagues and I are, are good for us. We discovered the Higgs boson back in 2012. The newer ones that you're talking about that have been discovered are fascinating, but they're not elementary particles. They are new composite particles. They're new combinations of quarks in different ways that we've not seen them composed before. And those ones are very fascinating uh, discoveries because 
those configurations could in principle teach us new things. They do teach us new things about these rules that we understand of the universe. Uh, you know, the, they're based upon quantum mechanics, something we call the standard model of particle physics, capital S, capital M. It earns that name because it's one of the most impressive intellectual achievements of humankind. Um, but at the end of the day, the new ones that you're talking about that were discovered just a few years ago, these are composite particles that are already made up of elementary particles that we know and love quite well. So these ones, I, again, I'm not trying to give them short shrift, but the real holy grail will be the ones that we're looking for beyond those. That will be the individual elementary particles like dark matter. We've been looking for dark matter for decades. No one has found dark matter anywhere. We have been, you know, uh, it, we have been diligently searching for it in all possible places, not just the Large Hadron Collider, but other experiments that, you know, mind-based experiments, satellite-based experiments, no dark matter has shown up. But in principle, dark matter could be one of these new elementary particles, or it would be composed of new par elementary particles that we've never seen before. Those are the holy grail. We haven't seen these yet. All right, let's welcome a caller in Alabama. Hi, you're on with Dr. James Beecham. Who's this? Uh, this is Merlin again. I called uh, before. Yeah, Merlin. What's up, bud? Uh, I just want to say I appreciate Dr. Beecham um, and what he's doing. He's, he's kind of getting rid of the superstition. Uh, I'm a fan of science as well. Uh, I appreciate science a lot. Uh, he's, he's a doctor of particle physics. I'm, I consider myself a doctor of metaphysical uh, happenings. Um, I okay. like to say, that I, of course, we got tons of particle collisions that are much, much stronger, like he points out, happening all day. So they, he's very correct there. But I believe I'm an expert of belief. And when you get like people collectively believing in something, I think that can influence the, uh, uh, the, the surrounding environment. And that could have something to do with the Mandela effect. Because if you have people collectively believing something, it's much more likely to occur, in my, in my opinion. Um, and, of course, uh, you can't explain everything with science. I've seen so many paranormal things that scientists are just now starting to, to accept as a possibility of being somewhat true. And so I'm not trying to devalue him in any, any way. He's, he's a much more intelligent person than I am. But what I'm just saying is there is a strong possibility that the collective belief is contributing to the Mandela effect, in my opinion. And that's, that's pretty much all I want to say there. I appreciate that, Merlin. Your response, Dr. Beecham? Yeah, so thanks a lot for the for the comment and for the question. I think it's you know these are really interesting things to think about for sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The the one thing again, this might sound like I'm you know, weaseling out of the conversation, but I'm not really. Is that I would I would hone in on the one word you use, which is belief, right? And that is a very very powerful world and a word in our society, uh, and it's something that a lot of people use when they are talking about you know things in the world. It's like, well, I believe so and so, I believe so and so. In terms of science, I don't use the word belief. In fact, I don't believe anything in terms of science. Science is not based upon belief. Belief always implies that you have some kind of choice, right? If I say to you, if I say, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, there's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, there, there's an invisible green leprechaun outside this window behind me. You have a choice to either believe me or not believe me, right? And belief always implies that choice. And if, you know, for example, even things that we think about from an emotional perspective, right? It's like, it's like, oh, well, you know, I believe that my grandmother loved me, right? It's like, you, there's no experiment I can, I can perform to demonstrate that my grandma deep down inside her brain actually did love me or not love me, right? It's something that we can't, so belief makes sense in these concepts and in these, in these realms. In science, belief does not have anything to do with science. So for example, I don't, if someone asks me, do you believe that the Higgs boson exists? No, I do not believe that the Higgs boson exists. 
What I do know is that the evidence within our data shows incontrovertibly there is an effect that is consistent with the conclusion that there is a Higgs boson particle that has XYZ properties, blah, blah, blah. That's very, very different from saying that I believe. So belief itself, in fact, has nothing to do with science, that we don't believe things in science. Instead, what we do is we, like I said, we collect data, we make conclusions based upon that data, and then we then uh, make predictions for other experiments based upon that data as well. It helps us better understand the universe. But that stuff, that those conclusions are always subject to update. They're always subject to being updated by new information that we get. Again, science is not a list of facts. It's not a list of, you know, authoritative statements about the universe. It's a process. It's a process that is always ongoing all the time. And it's very different from belief-based systems of looking at the universe. And so, you know, for example, you say that there's a lot of paranormal activity that you have observed and that a lot of people have observed over the years that science is just now uh, get, starting to take seriously or wrap their heads around. I will be fascinated to hear a, a bit more about some of these things. Um, but at the end of the day, most, basically all of the things that I've ever seen that have been referred to as paranormal or, you know, extrasensory perception or these kinds of things, they are all based upon some kind of very specific set of beliefs that somebody had at a particular time and place in, uh, in, you know, in, in history. And, almost basically all of them are have never been repeated they're not repeatable in a way so this is you know i I know you're probably expecting me to say this but at the end of the day these paranormal ideas are not repeatable and in fact you know for example james randy for a very long time literally had a million dollar you know prize out for somebody or something was some large amount of uh, uh some large monetary prize if somebody could demonstrate conclusively that there was and repeat some sort of paranormal uh, activity and this was never collected because it's just not possible to do these things again these are very fascinating concepts and there are i will give you that there are a few of them that scientists that, that can in fact be subject to science but as when you subject them to the rules of science and to the methods of science you end up that with the fact that these are very much uh, these are very much uh, empty and again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm not trying to devalue people that are very interested in oh, uh, paranormal yeah. activities and things like this. But I think that, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to be demonstrated. I, again, like, just like James Randi, I'm completely 100% happy to be proven wrong. I, yeah. I love that as a scientist. I love to be proven wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, at okay. the end of the day, I think um, that typically what we do is we're, we're thinking about things in a slightly different perspective. I right. just think about scientific, science-based things from a, just a, an evidence-based perspective. And that's, that's where I'm coming from. May, may I counter that real quick if I have the time? Go ahead, Merlin. Uh, yes, I like to counter that. I, I respect everything you're saying. Yeah, you, science, science is evidence-based, uh, and it updates over time when you present a new evidence. Uh, that's why I'm a fan of science. It, it, it does, it's not, it can never go wrong. Okay? Uh, but what I'm saying is perhaps you know, we're born in this electromagnetic field. Everything's tied to it. They just now researched recently about how birds have a special thing in their mind that aligns them to the um, poles, and they can – differentiate where to go from there and it's possible that we may possess those things as well i'm saying that when we die may perhaps our consciousness is tied to this electromagnetic field of the earth itself and it's intertwined and it can explain a lot of paranormal happenings and i observed myself and i was skeptical too and brain waves radio waves it's all frequencies and vibration and i have like you said i'm an evidence-based person and, and I didn't believe either. But when I see things get knocked off and people witness it with me, knocked off by 
what a ghost. There's no win. There's no draft, and, and and we're not all crazy. We can. It's not. And 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 there's a lot of evidence I've collected, and I have videos myself on YouTube about them stuff with a ghost box. It's, they use radio waves, and it helps them. They can communicate through different other channels and means. But I'm saying there's more that I wish science would would put more energy into studying, so we can finally get to the bottom of this if it's bullcrap or not for the public to make their own opinions on. More studies, says Merlin. What do you what do you say about that, Doctor Beach? Appreciate the call, bud. Yeah, you yeah, know, I think thanks again for the for the good conversation, Merlin. Merlin, I really appreciate it too. Um, the you know the way that I would answer that right is I would say that okay, if this is possible, if this is something that we can subject to the to the rigors of science, then we should right. I mean, let's go ahead and take exactly what you said. Those exact same conditions, like a room with some people in it, like something on a on a on a bookcase that then falls. Let's do that in a completely different uh, setting. Let's actually arrange that condition in a totally different random room. And like, let's do this a hundred times in a hundred different rooms in different parts of, you know, a, a, a building with diff- with a controlled group of people. And then you could demonstrate that this is something that either there's some kind of effect that you don't understand and, that, and, and maybe getting people together, it actually affects this thing on the, on the, on the shelf. It makes it fall. You know, it, again, it, just because somebody observes something one time, doesn't make it an effect and just because somebody starts to see certain things that they then piece together even as a, if it's a group of people right i mean there's as we sort of talked about earlier there's this thing known as for lack of a better word group think right you get people that start to think in one the same way and they all start to affect each other i would then say that it doesn't mean that they affect each other to then affect the physical world what it means is they then start to affect each other's thought patterns to then come to similar conclusions even though they're based not upon a a grand rigorous set of evidence, but instead just a few things that they have cherry picked because at the end of the day, what in my experience, again, I'm not devaluing somebody else's experience in my experience all the time when somebody says that they, they, they have some kind of, they've noticed things or like they, they can see things or they've seen something paranormal. Essentially what they're, what they're stating is that they have, cherry picked a few things that they have observed throughout their life that they have then put together and formed a story to explain these things. And that totally makes sense from a psychological perspective because humans, we are pattern seeking animals. We love to find patterns. And in fact, we sometimes like to observe patterns and assert that there are patterns when there's actually no patterns there. For example, somebody that will say to you, say to you, it's like, oh, well, you know, I knew that I knew that things were going to go weird for me lately because just the last, you know, 10 days I've seen like a black cat every single day. It's like, I, you know, I, I, every single day it's like, well, okay, that's great. But like you, you, what about all the cats that you didn't see the black cats that you didn't see around you behind you that every single day before then you just happen to, you know, you just happen to notice these ones for this particular reason. Like we love to see patterns. And in fact, as humans, we love to assert that there are patterns when in fact there are no patterns there. That's the whole point of science. Honestly, one of the reasons that science exists is to reduce to negligible the human capacity to assent to things and to see patterns when there's actually nothing there. So that's one of the main reasons of science. We can also talk about the the uh, the the concept of when you die, what happens to your consciousness and electromagnetic waves. I, I can talk about that for a very long time, but uh, maybe I stop and give some space for something else. I guess tell us uh, what is the purpose of the research going on with the Large Hadron Collider. What are you hoping to discover? Yeah, so – that's a fascinating question. And again, I'm going to do the annoying thing where I don't actually answer the direct question. I'm going to turn the question around. I keep doing this. I should. Uh, I have a little jar that I, every time well, I do that. Well, we've got a minute like a before jar. the break, so do your best in that minute, and then we'll pick <laughs> okay. it up after the okay. break as need be. 
For sure. Well, in fact, my job is not to discover new particles. That's let's dispel that notion. My job is and which, you know, the discovery of the Higgs boson and these three things. These are the ones that get the attention in the press. But in fact, we write hundreds of papers that indicate that we have looked in a particular part of our data that we never looked at before. And we therefore have ruled out the existence of a new particle there. So that's, in fact, my job is to rule out all the possible places in my data where a new discovery could be hiding. And it's slightly, you know, we have to kind of change our mindset when we think about particle physics as a job. Uh, we're more like cartographers. We're more like map makers, if you were mapping out this data. And but there's a lot of things in principle that we could find things like dark matter, things like uh, Ooh, heavy matter. neutral leptons, things things like Z prime bosons, f- new forces of nature, new uh, dimensions of space. We can talk about those at length. Endless possibilities into the second hour with Dr. James Beecham on Doorway into Hell. Into the Paranormal continues. I'm Jeremy Scott. Want to chat with like-minded thinkers? Join Into the Parabnormal Facebook group. It'll blow your mind. Concentrate too hard, or you might get sucked into a black hole. Into the paranormal. I am Jeremy Scott. My guest is particle physicist Dr. James Beecham from CERN. It's been fired back up after a hiatus for maintenance. And it stirred up speculation, and particularly after folks have seen Stranger Things... And then come to the understanding uh, that uh, CERN has been fired back up. They're wondering, you know, what are the possibilities? And it's so uh, fascinating to talk about them tonight. And one of the things that Dr. Beecham uh, mentioned right before the break was about dark matter, which is a very fascinating thing just on, on itself. What is CERN doing in the search for dark matter? Yeah, so dark matter, let's be clear what we mean when we say dark matter, right? Because it sounds very kind of mysterious and like, ooh, you know, that's that's dark matter. So what we mean is that um, there is way more stuff in the universe than what we can see with our eyes. And that should be obvious. And that's, you know, especially for an audience like this, they're very much uh, on board with a statement like that. But what we mean from a science perspective is basically all the stuff around you, all the stuff that makes up, you know, you and me and computers and potatoes and stars and things like that. It's all made up of a certain, just a fixed number of possible uh, elementary particles, like these ones that we talked about. There's in fact 17 of them. And we know that there's a, a, there are 17 different species of individual particles that we know of that exist. And they make up basically everything that's around you and I that we can see with our eyes. But we know for a fact that that's a tiny, tiny fraction of all this possible stuff that's in the universe. There's something like 5% of all the stuff that's in the universe. The rest of the stuff, so to speak, in the universe is stuck into these forms known as dark matter and dark energy. These are two different unsolved questions of science right now. Um, and But we'll talk about the dark matter one uh, specifically. So 
each one of you, each one of your in your body right now, you have a, about a billion particles of something called dark matter flowing through your body every second. And it's never touched you. It's never affected you. It, it has nothing to do with you. It just sails through your body as if you're not even there. The reason we know this stuff is there is because we see it, the effect of this stuff on the cosmos due to gravity. So, for example, you take, you know, we, one of the big things in science for the last few months has been the start of the web telescope, right? This amazing web telescope showing these like eye popping photos. And even me, I mean, I'm not a tiny little kid anymore, but I'm just staring at these for hours, just like I did the original Hubble photographs, right? It's just like, I'm, you know, even just from an aesthetic perspective, I look at these and I'm like, wow, what is happening here? It's fantastic stuff. So, but go back to your favorite Hubble photograph of like a spiral galaxy, right? So these wonderful spiral galaxies with the weird arms coming out, there's beautiful things. And so take that that photograph and count up all the stuff that you can see with your eyes and maybe not you do it, but go down to your local astrophysicist and get them to count up all the things that we can see with our eyes. These are all the stars and the, the, the different planets that might be, might be able to identify exoplanets and, and the gas that's there. This gives you an estimate of the amount of matter that's in that galaxy. And my astronomer friends are very, very good at this. So, okay. Once you have the amount of matter that's in that galaxy, then take your favorite textbook on gravity. I assume you all have a textbook on gravity on your bedside table, like I do. And you flip to the, the, the page that tells you how fast a star should go as it, as it's as it's moving around this galaxy as a function of how far away from the center of the galaxy is does that make sense galaxies are spinning they're always spinning like this and as you go farther out the stars should be moving at a particular rate though you can calculate just based upon gravity einstein's very good general relativity is fantastic it's very accurate it allows us to predict these things very 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 accurately so you have the matter and it tells you how fast it should be spinning now go out and measure how fast it's spinning the galaxy is spinning way faster than it should if it's only made of stuff that we can see with our eyes. And in fact, it's not just a little bit faster. It's much, much faster. It's spinning so fast that it should not be held together as a galaxy. That means either one of two things is wrong. Either gravity, our understanding of gravity is wrong, and it's probably not because Einstein was very good and rigorous, or there's got to be more stuff there than what we can see with our eyes. And if it's not light, then it's dark. That's where the dark comes from, dark matter, right? And we know that there's there's something like five or six times as much dark matter in the universe as there is you and me matter. So, but, but then go back to the thing that I said, if it's constantly coursing through your body all the time, then how are we ever going to possibly, and it's never touched you, it's never affected you whatsoever, how are we going to ever possibly? Uh, how are we ever going to possibly measure this stuff and 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 detect it in an experiment? One of the ways you could do this is with my colleagues that use these so-called mind-based experiments. You know, if I say that your body has never felt the dark matter going through it, that just means that your body is a bad dark matter detector. Maybe we need to arrange the conditions of an experiment in just the right way so that it, if the dark matter particle eventually bumps into regular matter like you and me, and this is actually really, really key uh, related to the portal question that we started the show with, is then maybe we have to build a different experiment. So they do this. They say, okay, let's take an enormous vat like, you know, several, several uh, meters high and meter, uh, several meters thick to an enormous vat and fill it with xenon. Xenon is a very different element than the ones that make up you and I. And if you put a vat filled with xenon, then eventually if a dark matter particle, it's a very stable configuration and put it underneath a, like in a mine or underneath a, 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 a mountain or something like that. If a dark matter particle eventually bumps into this, this, this xenon, you will see a little flash of light. It'll bump things around and you'll see this little flash of light. You put some PMTs, photomultiplier tubes, whatever, around the outside of this vat. 
And if you see anything, you'll be very uh, definitively, you can conclude that there might be a dark matter particle there. We still have not seen this at all. So then people like me, to answer your question finally, at the Large Hadron Collider, we can also say something about dark matter too, because think about what you're doing when you're when you have to look for a dark matter particle imagine i take an enormous vat of xenon and i let it sit there for like a year two years and then hope that some dark matter particle is going to bump into it but the dark matter is flowing through us all the time constantly that means that what we're looking for is something that's so completely rare that we have to go to such extreme lengths and if you're looking for something that's rare you can come to the large hadron collider because we collide protons, not just one time. We don't, we don't just turn on the machine and then turn it off and say, Ooh, what happened with that one collision? We collide protons 40 million times a second, and we do this for weeks and months and years. So if you're looking for a very, very rare effect, you will find it in our data just as well as you'll find it in, in these uh, mind-based experiments. So that's the kind of long version of saying the way that we look for dark matter is we know that dark matter, if it exists, and we know that something that we give the name dark matter exists, whether it's a particle or not, is still an open question. We know that if it exists as a particle, it will only touch, quote-unquote touch, matter like you and I at a very, very, very rare rate, almost like never. It, it hates to touch us at all. And if it does touch us, touch at the particle level means that it has to interact via a force. Earlier, we were talking about electromagnetism, but there's other forces of nature. But if dark matter interacts with you and I, it probably interacts via a new force of nature that you and I have not discovered yet. And science hasn't discovered yet, a so-called dark force. And that's not like a Star Wars thing. It's a, it's just means that there's some new force of nature that's extremely weak. It's extremely feeble that only happens extremely rarely. And so that's what we're looking for. And in fact, this is, we know, you know, based upon, like I said, our observations of the cosmos due to galaxies, we know for a fact that something is going on with gravitational interactions or like big gravitational things. If there's more stuff there than what we can see with our eyes, then it probably interacts by a new force of nature, which means this is hope whole kind of like dark universe and again the word dark universe is coming from a scientific perspective not like a you know not like a, a, a you know speculative fiction perspective and what we're looking for in science is in fact we talk about we use the word portal we're looking for portals ways to connect the universe of you and i all the particles around us which we understand quite well we're looking for ways to connect that to the dark world that's what we're looking for so we when we use the word portal we mean it in a very specific physics context looking for a new force of nature that could connect that could that could govern whether or not a dark matter particle if it gets close enough at some point to one of the nuclei in your body would they actually zap each other occasionally with this new force of nature are there other efforts like what cern is doing to find dark matter well, yeah, in terms of particle colliders, there's a lot of other ways around the, there are other particle colliders around the globe, of course, CERN is not the only one, it's just the one that has the, the highest energy collisions at the moment. But you don't, you know, when you're looking for new things like dark matter, you don't have to use only high energy collisions, you can look, mm -hmm. use other types of colliders as well. So for example, there are several places, even in the United States, there's, you know, at, at, uh, at Slack at the Stanford lab laboratory, right? And also at Jefferson lab, there's a, there's a, there's a Jefferson, there's a laboratory in Newport News, Virginia, if anybody's listening from Virginia, shout out to you. Um, Newport News, Virginia has this thing called uh, Jefferson lab, which I've, I've worked on an experiment there, in fact, several years ago about a decade ago at this point that was using this lower energy beam where again it's not instead of the large hadron collider we take two protons and smash them in together head on 
Instead, you don't you don't only have to do that. You can hold like a piece of metal and hold it fixed, and you can send a large amount of electrons toward it and at, at high energies. They're not as high as the Large Hadron Collider, but they're still high. And then those electrons will hit the nuclei inside the metal, and stuff will come out the other side. You can measure what comes out the other side and see if you make similar, you know, do similar detective work that we do at the Large Hadron Collider. These kinds of experiments can also potentially look for dark matter, quote-unquote, but not directly. They can be instead looking for this dark force. And that's something that we looked for 10 years ago and other places around the globe. They're still looking for this, this new force-carrying particle, this new force of nature. Sometimes we give it the name dark photon by analogy to the regular photon. Um, but again, the word dark, when we use it in science, it doesn't, doesn't actually mean that we have no idea what we're talking about. It means primarily that it's not something that interacts via electromagnetism. So there's other experiments around the globe that are also you know, in parallel participating in the search for not just dark matter specifically, but for this whole kind of dark universe, this dark world that it could be composed of a bunch of different particles, new particles for us to discover that are really elusive and that so elusive that, you know, thousands of people have been looking at for them at, for them for decades and we have found zero. What other kinds of discoveries you started to mention some of those besides dark matter uh, are you hoping to find? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that are potential things that could show up in our data at the Large Hadron Collider. So one of the things that's really fascinating, um, one one of the things that Run 3 is going to be fun for is that we, like we mentioned earlier, there's this tiny extra bit of energy that we were able to eke out of the machine, right? So it's higher energy than anyone's ever used before. It's a tiny bit more. It's not a lot, but it's great. It's it's any So anytime in physics you open up something new like this, uh, you have new energy, you have the possibility to discover new particles because of Einstein. You remember Einstein's most famous equation, E equals MC squared. This means that for the particle level, there's an equivalence between energy and mass. And the M part is in a mass and M for a particle, you know, mass for a particle is not the same word that you, you and I use, you know, colloquial, like, like, you know, oh, look at that massive building. Mass for a particle is just an intrinsic property of the particle. So we can't control M, but we can't control E. We can control E as scientists. E is the kinetic energy of the particle that we get them to before we smash them together. So anytime you go to higher energies, you have the possibility of opening up new particles that we haven't yet had a chance, even had the possibility of creating in our machines to then discover uh, and then measure the properties of. So we look for, you know, this higher energy allows us to look for not just dark matter or dark uh, photons. We can look for new force carrying particles that are even higher mass than that. We call these sometimes Z prime particles. Um, But we're also looking for, uh, uh, we're also looking for things called um, a little bit more arcane things called, you know, heavy neutral leptons. We're looking for um, the possibility of uh, of supersymmetry particles that might exist. All of these will require their own long discussions in and of themselves. One of the things that's really interesting that we can still look for, but it's becoming less and less important, is that I said earlier in the show that there's no way for us to make a black hole in the Large Hadron Collider. That's true. We're never going to make a regular black hole, one of these kind of normal black holes that you see in the center of galaxies. But the more fascinating part is that we can, in fact, look for something called miniature black holes. And these miniature black holes would not be regular black holes, so there's no danger. But what they would be is they would be tiny modified versions of black holes that might indicate the presence of new dimensions of space. And that to me, like, again, I'm a professional, I should be cool about it, but it's still mind blowing to think about it, right? It's like the fact that there could be extra dimensions of space around us, like that, that 
boggles the mind, right? I mean, obviously, our universe is made of three dimensions. That makes no sense. Wait, one, two, three. But in fact, there is the possibility that there are tiny curled up dimensions of space all around us uh, all the time. And in principle, these little miniature black holes could point us toward... Uh, point us toward these these extra dimensions we see no evidence of those so far but anytime you have a little bit extra energy you can then start to say more about potential you know we can search for more kinds of miniature black holes there's a lot of things like this we're looking for is there any danger in any of the experiments that you're doing when you increase the power uh no again the 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 thing to keep in mind uh when we use this word you know extra you know, high energy, the highest energy that humans have ever used. The main mm-hmm. key, the key phrase there is the one by humans. Again, the higher energy collisions are going on all the time above your head. Um, in terms of the, the technology itself that we use, that's very well understood. And it's also perfectly safe, you know, for all humans. Again, it's a hundred meters underground. Um, and the worst that could ever possibly happen when, if there was some sort of like technological breakdown with the large Hadron Collider, uh, is that you'd have like, you know, a, a magnet that would be like the little metal part on some of the magnet, uh, joists might not be perfect. And then you, that one of those might, uh, have too much tension. And then you get sort of like, you get, uh, suddenly the vacuum would turn into a not vacuum and you get a bunch of stuff that, uh, a bunch of atmospheric, uh, energy that comes in or sorry, not energy, just atmospheric uh, air that comes in and then it, it ruins your superconductor and then you have sort of like a boom, but that's a hundred meters underground. There's nobody around and it's not a big enough boom to do anything. It's just, in fact, this happened, as you know, right when the large Hadron Collider first turned on back in like, what was it? 2009 or something like that. Back in 2009, uh, 2008 or 2009, there was a, there was a magnet quench that happened um, and that was a big boom, but it was again, a big boom, a hundred meters underground. And it's big only in the context of our, our minds and our egos as scientists We're like, Oh, this sucks. So there's no danger for what we do to humans whatsoever. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, the science is, is extremely exciting and the danger to humans is absolutely zero. And I, and part of me is, uh, you know, always a little bit, uh, you know, uh, mystified that people focus on these sorts of like end of the world scenarios when the science itself that we could do is way more interesting than that. There's no way for us to end the world. Like the, 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 the universe has been around the earth has been around for billions of years, right? And there's higher energy things going on all around us in the universe, just because us humans have some kind of humble particle physics experiment. We're never going to, you know, the, the universe is much more robust. The, the earth is much more, more robust than, than that. We're not going to suddenly end the earth uh, just by a humble fart particle physics experiment. And still no dangers to humans if we take it, uh, say, from underground and put it above ground. No, because we have a lot of those in the past that have been on the on the surface as well. Um, for example, at uh, Fermilab, the Tevatron. Actually, I don't know how deep that was. I don't think it was very deep underground at all. That was a very high energy experiment as well. The one at Slack is, in fact, a surface level a linear accelerator. These things again. These these the 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 main things that come to mind when people hear you know particle physics and and in CERN the N you know because it was uh, the N means nuclear and it was back in the fifties and sixties we don't do nuclear science anymore we just do uh, well there's a little bit of nuclear science but not in terms of energy or sources or bombs or anything like that um, the things that people come to mind you know the the things that come to mind when people think about these experiments is like 
um, oh no, there's high energy. Is it going to make an explosion? Or uh, oh no, is there going to be radiation that's going to hurt people? Both of these things are impossible. Like the the energies that again, to keep in mind the energies we use are high energies. Number one, in the context of individual tiny particles smashing together, which again you have to keep in mind that these things are extremely small and there's nothing dangerous about them at all. And also, they're only it's only high energy in the context of us humans, us ability to you know the the the, the highest energy we've ever used. Uh, we've been able to achieve as humans. And there is obviously radiation. Anytime you have particle accelerators, you have some kind of radiation. But again, all of this radiation, you know, such an experiment would never have gone forward if all of the radiation had not been calculated far, far in advance and demonstrated, oh, yeah, this is just kind of regular radiation that's going to go away. So it's ne- it never, it, again, it's 100 meters underground. There's nothing that will ever get to the surface in terms of the radiation whatsoever, and it's completely safe to humans. What about something like this, uh, you know, something that that's uh, more powerful and, and maybe up on the moon? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So, well, that's a, that's a fascinating scientific uh, idea. So, you know, again, I mentioned Einstein earlier, right? This E equals MC squared. And you might ask the kind of broader questions, the more clever amongst you or might ask the question. It's like, okay, well, 13 TeV, again, the TeV, you don't, don't worry so much about the, the name. It's just a, uh, it's a measure of energy. It's tera electron volts, trillion electron volts. And it's very high for humans, but the universe has higher collisions all the time. You might think, okay, well, 13 TeV going up to 13.6 TeV, it's like, why don't you just go higher? Well, they, that's a very good question. We do want to go higher. In fact, we want to go to higher and higher, as high energies as we possibly can. But there's a limitation built in. So, the, again, I said that the Large Hadron Collider is about 17 miles around as a circular tunnel, right? And inside that tunnel, we have these very strong magnets. So you take a proton, like we say, we take protons. And if you accelerate this to very high energies, very high speeds and energies, it, you send it in a straight line because that's the, that's the direction it wants to go. Protons at such high energies, they hate to bend. They don't want to bend. And you might imagine, so to get them to bend around this circle, this 17-mile circle of the Large Hadron Collider, you need to put a charged particle like a proton in a magnetic field. That's the thing that gets it to bend. But to want, the higher energy you go, the stronger the magnetic field you need to get it to bend around the circle. And, and you have a fixed tunnel size, right? I mean, we can't suddenly ex- increase the size of the tunnel. It's fixed, right? So to get to high energies, we need to either have stronger magnets or we need to build a larger collider. And so that's what the next generation of particle collider is planned to be, is that you know the, the next generation is possibly going to be something called the Future Circular Collider, FCC. Ostensibly, they'll uh, presumably they'll change the name from future to present once the future turns into the present. But this would be something that instead of 17 miles around, it'd be, or I guess 27 kilometers around, it'd be something like 100 kilometers around. And that would also potentially be here at CERN as well. And that would be able to achieve energies that are something like six or seven times what we can currently achieve with a large hadron collider. But then you ask, is that enough? The answer is that it's no, that's not enough. The broader question that we have in science is that you, we, in fact, would like to go to higher and higher energies until eventually we reach something that's sort of like the ultimate energy. And it's not the ultimate energy in terms of like it's going to destroy the world. Ultimate energy only for individual particle collisions. And it's something called the Planck energy. And this Planck energy is the next place where we know there has to be some kind of guaranteed discovery. However, to uh, 
achieve uh, to achieve the Planck energy. Uh, it's a larger discussion about quantum mechanics and general relativity. For those of you that know, there's a big uh, one of the biggest open questions in science for decades has been how does quantum mechanics how do quantum mechanics and gravity work together, if at all? And the answer is we don't know the answer to this at all. It's a big open question. And the place where we would definitely find the answer is if we were to achieve a collision in a Planck scale, a Planck energy scale collider. However, to achieve the Planck energy in a particle collider, we might need to build a collider like the Large Hadron Collider that stretches around the outer orbit of Neptune. More with Dr. James Beecham tonight on Into the Paranormal right after this. Paranormal News. How likely are we to meet our demise by space junk? Scientists have calculated that probability. A study published by Nature Astronomy has estimated the chance of casualties from falling rocket parts over the next 10 years. They found there is a small but significant risk of debris re-entering the atmosphere. It is more likely to happen over southern latitudes than northern ones. The study estimates that rocket bodies are approximately three times more likely to land in Indonesia, Bangladesh, and Nigeria rather than New York, Beijing, or Moscow. With an increasing number of satellites, rockets, and probes in space, it might only be a matter of time before a catastrophe. Microscopic particles settle on Earth's surface, adding up to around 40,000 tons of dust each year. I'm George Henry, Paranormal News. Hadron Collider. Hadron Collider. Colliding its first protons again after three years of upgrades faster than ever before. The goal is to get fundamental particles moving as fast as we possibly can, very, very close to the speed of light, and then we smash them together. We smash these protons together millions of times a second. And when we do that, we're briefly recreating the conditions of the universe as they were about a fraction of a second after the Big Bang. It's the biggest scientific experiment ever attempted. Understanding our universe means going further than outer space. We are so. And we are going back to the origin of our universe. Pushing science. And pushing technology. Pair of normal. It's part paranormal and part abnormal. There's nothing ordinary about what's on your speakers. Into the Pair of Normal with Jeremy Scott. Doorway into hell. Is it even possible? My guest tonight is Dr. James Beecham. He's a particle physicist at CERN. The website is jbbeecham.com, and you can find out more about his work there. Uh, really fascinating conversation that we've had, and uh, I see some calls coming in. So if you do have questions, this is our final segment. It's 503-506-0396. That's 503-506-0396. But Dr. Beecham, to wrap up what you were talking about before the break, it sounds like what you were about to say is that to accomplish some of what you hope to accomplish, you need something more powerful. Yeah, just to finish the thought from before the break. So 
you know, we we talk about high energy collisions and we the, the, the ring that we have right now, the circle that we have, the tunnel we have, this 27 kilometer circular tunnel called the Large Hadron Collider. It only has a maximum energy that you could ever get these collisions, these particle collisions to. And we need to go beyond that at some point. Otherwise, we'll never know what's there. We have big open questions of science. You know, what is dark matter? You know, are there extra dimensions of space? All these kinds of things. And we have no more guaranteed hints as to what kind of experiment we should design to find answers to those questions as a result we need to just go as big as possible and so we until eventually we get to this thing called the Planck energy and the Planck energy like i said is this kind of more or less ultimate energy at which uh you know the mysteries of the universe would be revealed we would know how gravity and quantum mechanics work together if at all a bunch of new discoveries would come out of that for sure but again to reach this Planck energy it's such a high high energy that we as humans our civilization currently can't design an experiment that high so we need to continue the process of building larger and larger colliders, sampling energies from what we have now all the way up to and eventually including, you know, the, the, the Planck energy. One of these could be, for example, building a particle collider around the circumference of the moon. And this is something, in fact, that I just wrote a paper about uh, last year. It was published earlier, earlier this year um, with a colleague of mine. We kind of went through the process as like, mm, is it, you know, because so many people are interested in going back to the moon for various reasons, we thought, okay, well, is this actually possible? Are there any showstoppers? And it turns out there are no showstoppers. Our species could totally build a collider around the circumference of the moon uh, that would reach energies a thousand times that what we can currently uh, reach at the Large Hadron Collider. Probably if, it, if this happened, it would happen in the 22nd century, far after we're dead. But again, discoveries that happen before we were born or after we're dead are just as important the ones that happen during our lifetime. So that's the kind of that, that's what we need to do. The, the, the far future of my field of particle physics is that we need to go to higher energy colliders. And for that, we need to build bigger, bigger machines. All right, let's go to the phones again. Derek in Massachusetts, you are on with Dr. James Beecham. Good evening. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, James. Uh, really great show tonight. Awesome stuff. Thank so you. Far. Um, I'm just going to play devil's advocate conspiracy theorist crazy nut case right now for you, okay. uh, James, real quick. Um, <laughs> so, again, this is devil's advocate. I'm very pro-science. This is just uh, from a conspiracy theorist perspective why they're suspicious about CERN, you know? So the two biggest, most classic ones are the fact that, um, or the idea that CERN has um, the Shiva statue on the outside of, like, on the entrance to the building that looks like it's coming out of a portal. Um, you're talking about the idea that belief has nothing to do with CERN, and what about all that? Like, what about, like, and the, the idea behind it, apparently, according to, like, the description given by CERN, is, like, it's, it's to bridge science and religion. That's, like, the purpose of the statue, you know? And then there's, like, that, quote-unquote, ritual hulk, uh, hoax from 2016 um, that, like, took place right in front of the statue. And, like, the videos online, you can see it. It's, like, pretty elaborate for somebody to just run up and it's not like a, it's not like a ding-dong ditch. It's like a pretty elaborate hoax, and you need a, you need a badge to get in there. Um, I have some more weirdness, but just those are the big ones. So what do you think about those two first? Like, how do you explain those? Or, like, can you see that that, that, yeah, might, for, be, that, that might, like, get my radar going, you know? Sorry, Fred. Absolutely. No, and, I, and, I mean, thank you for the question and for the pointing those things out. And to be clear, yeah, absolutely. I, I understand that these things exist, and these things definitely can spark the imagination of people who see this and are like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. Because again, it's like you think, oh, this is just kind of a sober, boring, you know, nerdy particle physics laboratory. Why would these <laughs> things exist there? I totally get that, right? But you have to keep in mind two things. Uh, 
well, the, so the first thing that you mentioned, in fact, this is, I, I can do this sort of push up my glasses. Well, actually, so first of all, the Shiva statue is not at the entrance to CERN at all. And it's not on the outside. It's not like prominently displayed whatsoever. It's like far into the campus. Like you have to get through the first, you know, the gates and then you have to go back to one of these in between a couple of buildings. It's like, it's just sitting there. Um, and so it's not necessarily at this, at the entrance of the, the campus whatsoever. I mean, I, pro- I don't know if I made a specific video about this. I should make a, a TikTok about this mm-hmm. at some point. Um, to my, you know, like what, uh, hundreds of thousands of followers, right? To, you know, show them, it's like, listen, I will walk you from the, cer- I will walk you from the entrance to CERN all the way back to where this weird nook, where the, where the, the statue of Shiva is. So first of all, it's not at the entrance. Um, se- second of all, it's not, if you, I, I can actually also send you a, a video of the, um, send you a photo of the plaque that sit there that's that's in front of it so the statue was a gift from the the government of india back in like the the 90s or the early 2000s or something like that and it was a gift from the government just to you know sort of like demonstrate that india has been a participant in this type of research for a very long time and it's a very kind of poetic statue about you know it's not supposed to bridge science and uh, and religion at all it's just using these kind of ancient traditions of thinking about our universe the way the universe works right back in the day you know thousands yeah. of years ago we didn't have the the, the, ten, the, the methods of exactly the dance of the particles right it's, the, it's sort of like yeah. a poetic way to think about the dance of the particles and that to me is not bridging science or religion it's just saying it's acknowledging that humans have had different ways of thinking about the universe and the way the universe works in the past and in yeah. the present we have very robust ways of doing science now back in the day they had other ways you know it can it, we we as yeah. it, you know contemporarily we can laugh if we want to we can laugh at like our forebears that looked up at the sky and they're like oh well that's like a solid dome and uh, the stars are like painted <laughs> on this dome that we can laugh at them but that was totally valid at the time they didn't have a better uh, conclusion so it totally made sense that's a fine scientific thing to think back then we have now updated our conclusions based upon it now so again i think it's it, and it's not supposed to blend science and religion it's just a, it's supposed yeah, to be yeah. a kind of poetic thing which is what art does that's what art does and in fact there's lots and lots of artistic uh things on site at stern it's like any university campus like you know being there in massachusetts famous universities all over the place if you go to any university oh, yeah. campus there are going to be statues oh, they're going to be uh exactly there, <laughs> there you go got a shout out for university so there are going to be statues there are going to be sculptures they're going to be paintings and these sculptures you know you'll see like a a sculpture and it looks abstract and it's like some weird thing and then you read the plaque and it's like oh this indicates you know this is a uh this is a sculpture uh in honor of the intellectual tradition of you know of humans you're like what you know yeah. so that's the thing it depends on who you are uh, to come to that. So that, that statue yeah. itself is just one of many pieces of art that exists on campus. The video you're yeah. talking about, I love this question yeah, yeah. because <laughs> this was a really, really irritating thing. You know, I mean, me as like a, you know, as a little kid, I was always the the weird kid and I was always thinking in different ways. I was always like, I was like a proto punk before, you know, I even knew what punk was. Right. So I understand the need to undercut authority. I understand the need to, you know, kind of like do things that are, that are out of the ordinary, but this video was produced by summer students and there's a long tradition at CERN. There's these, uh, there's a summer Uh, student program where students that are undergraduates, they come from all around the globe 
And it's a very prestigious thing. You get a chance to be a summer student at CERN and you get a chance to be uh, involved in the research. You know, even though you don't fully understand what's going on, you get a chance to be involved in the research. You get hooked up with, you know, advisors that, you know, again, I, I, I have summer, summer students basically every summer. and We look for different ways to look for dark matter. And I, you know, I expose them to the way that we do data analysis, blah, blah, blah. But for many years, there was a tradition for some reason that the summer students would do some kind of like sort of pranky thing toward the end of the, <laughs> at, at, at the summer. And it was typically just something very sort of ner- nerdy and silly, right? Like one year they they went into the cafeteria at night and they put the tables on top of each other. And then people showed up in the morning. It's like, oh, no, the tables are, you know, it's like something really benign. A few years yeah. ago, because of the way that CERN, the type of research that we do, because it's, you know, it, for a lot of people, it seems very arcane. And so it captures the imaginations of a lot of people and even people that might call themselves conspiracy theorists or maybe not call themselves that at all. And it captures the attention of people. These uh, the, uh, these summer students a few years ago, they made the very unwise. They didn't think it through. I would love to find I never found out who it is that made this. I would love to talk to them and help them through the like to think through the process that people that are susceptible to conspiracy theories, they don't understand the concept of satire. It's impossible to satirize these things for people like that. Right. If I if if someone comes to me that's conspiracy theory minded and they say, well, James, uh, d- d- are you going to turn me into a carrot with a large hadron collider? And I say to them, yes, I'm going to turn you into a carrot. They don't understand sarcasm. They don't understand uh, satire. It does not, not exist in the brain. So the, the summer students that made this video, they were specifically trying to satirize the fact that there were conspiracy theories about CERN. So they're like, oh, people yeah. talk about the Shiva statue. Let's do a mock sacrifice instead of the Shiva statue. And it was a Blair Witch style parody that they came up with. And the second we saw this, I, again, like I said, me as a sort of like a you know a long time sort of like punk and you know the guy that wants to you know undercut authority part of me was like yeah that's cool but you know like but the other part of me is like oh god you didn't think this through this is like way yeah. worse than you, you know than, yeah. than the satire i mean so again this is I not mean, something that exists yeah go ahead sorry, sorry i mean those are those are i definitely take that and i understand that for sure but like when you make these videos that's not going to convince any conspiracy theorists they're going to say that not only was yeah. it some kind of like "Quote unquote, like, like hoax or prank or whatever. It's the same thing they say, Bohemian Grove. Oh, we're not actually sacrificing people in front of this owl god. We're actually, it's a, it's a fake thing. Um, they're going to say, yeah. oh, not only were you doing it with, with, with scientists, you're doing it with children too. So it's going to make it even worse. And like the, and you can't, you're right in the idea that you can't tell a conspiracy theorist anything because they're just going to say that there's the, there's the exoteric for everything else and the esoteric. What's what they're, what they're really meaning, what they're really trying to do, yada yada. So I feel your pain. Um, one last thing before I go, but yeah. um. You're talking about dark matter and stuff. Um, uh, one of the things that really gets the synchromystics and occultics going is the idea that it sounds very similar to alchemy and like theosophy and the idea that like physics has their root. Um, like Isaac Newton and all the like the fathers of physics are huge alchemists and they were trying to turn lead into gold and all kind of crazy stuff. And in theosophy, mm-hmm. there's a concept of called the astral light. And it's like the substance that like binds the universe together and it's all around us and flowing through us and all kinds of stuff. And they're constantly on these like quests and trying to do these occult workings to find, to get to this astral light. And like, it's make people compare it to dark matter. This is saying essentially what, what CERN is doing is just um, putting scientific lingo on this very ancient alchemical working. Um, and they don't know, they don't know what they're like. If, if they, if you get what you want and you get something new and novel that you haven't seen before, who's to say that's not going to have a bad, bad effect to it, you know? And then like, if you're not going to get anything new 
if you're not, and if like, it is so, so, so hard to detect any of this stuff because it doesn't really interact with us at all, people, people would say, devil's advocate, like, then what's the point? Why are we spending so much money on this? Why is it like, if it's really not going to do anything for us, like, other than yeah. that, that gets the conspiracy minded to be like, well, because the real point of it is to open the door to the other side to let in Sununos, this foreign god from the abyss, and all that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Um, I talked too much. Right. Great, great show. Again, that was Devil's Advocate. You did a great job explaining it. Um, but awesome, awesome show, Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. Any thoughts on that, Dr. Beecham, before we move on? Yeah. So thanks a lot for those questions. Again, good for the for the good discussion. Um, it's probably a good place to sort of wrap up in a way because, like, th- these are really good questions and they're really fascinating things. Again, the thing to keep in mind when people start to th- come up with conspiracy-minded ideas about some place like CERN is you have to sort of check yourself in a way. You have to kind of step back a bit and you have to kind of think it's like, okay, well, I have one particular viewpoint that I'm putting toward this kind of a thing. So again, the words that were that you just used in the question about like, oh, what is you know, what is, uh, uh, you know, CERN might be doing alchemy and theosophy and like might be trying to, you know, do things with respect to the occult and like open up a portal to so-and-so, or maybe there's some sort of particular God that they're trying to bring through. It's like, you have to keep in mind that these particular ideas are very, very specific to specific belief systems that humans have espoused, a certain number of humans have espoused that are just one of an almost a very, very large number of possible, totally equivalent belief systems. And again, it gets back to the thing that I said earlier, science and science actually has nothing to do with belief. So we don't have a belief system in science. Instead, we have a a series of mathematical uh, uh, structures that we then write down and we then allow these things to help us make predictions and experiments, then we perform the experiment, then we take data and we then make conclusions based upon it. This is completely universal. It doesn't matter what your theological tradition is, or if you have no theological tradition at all, or any kind of uh, uh, belief system, you know, with respect to religion or or theology at all, the the rules and the tenets of science are totally universal no matter what. And these these one particular things, these specific, when we say, you know, the God Abaddon or whatever one that was used or the occult, these are just one specific religious or theological belief system amongst the, you know, thousands and thousands that humans have espoused throughout the, the, you know, throughout history. There's no reason to think that, 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 you know, it's almost as though science is this thing that's everywhere above us. Particle physics is everywhere above us. And there are these particular specific things that are being plugged in there that are trying to, you know, then we try to make these connections to, and it just doesn't follow. It's like one of these things I, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but why that one, why this one particular God Abaddon, why not instead this other particular, this other belief system, why not something else that's equivalently fictional why not like uh, the balrog from lord of the rings why not uh, you know something from harry potter why doesn't someone say it's like oh no cern is trying to you know trying to open up uh, uh, hogwarts or is trying to you know get whatever the villains from harry potter are it's like because these are fictional stories and they're but they're just as equivalent and just as fictional to all of the other religious traditions and theological traditions that humans have espoused throughout the years they're all they're all equivalent and they're all the same to science in the sense that they have nothing to do with science whatsoever so at the end of the day it does i understand where people are coming from where they were they they had been brought up in a particular religious tradition or they're experience they're they've been exploring other types of religious traditions and then they come to this notion it's like wait a minute this notion of you know uh cern trying to create new elements or like 
like arrange things in a new way is very similar to theosophy or is very similar to alchemy. It's not really because, again, we're not trying to create anything. What we're trying to do is we're trying to simply measure the universe. Again, that's the key thing to keep in mind is that we're not producing anything at CERN. We're not making anything new. We're not creating anything new. We're simply measuring the universe as it already exists. That's full stop. That's what we're doing. Even the Higgs boson, it was it was discovered in 2012. We didn't invent it. It was there all the way all along, waiting for us to discover. We just had to have the right machine to be able to discover it. So it's not producing anything. It's not creating anything. We're not you know we're not trying to do these kinds of things. So then of course this answer this addresses the other part of your question, which is then what's the point? <laughs> That's a very good question. I would also ask the say I would turn the question around and say, what's the point of us as a public? Why is it that we use public funds to, ha- you know, to pay a security guard to guard a Picasso painting in a museum? What's the point of that painting? Well, it, well, the point of that painting is that art, like science, like fundamental science, they are there to help us understand the universe in a profoundly different way. And that's what this type of research does. The kind of the, the behind the scenes, the types of questions we're trying to answer with particle physics and at the Large Hadron Collider at CERN are the same kinds of questions that you have asked yourself sometime in your life, which is where did everything come from? How does everything work around us? And where are we going? These are deep philosophical and also physical questions that we can actually address with questions like this. It's a, it's a, it's a bizarre to me. It's like, it's just mind blowing fallacy and like a, a shame. It's a, it's a, it's an absolute shame that are in our society. So many of us, we see something with the mis, the, the majesty and wonderful like achievement of this 27 kilometer circular tunnel that can achieve such energies that humans have ever done. And the only thing they can think of is, well, what do, what kind of product do I get out of this? What kind of, you know, that's not the point like that. That's the worst possible reason to do anything from, to my mind, the worst possible reasons to do anything in, to my mind, a profit or product. We don't do any, either of those things. I would also mention that in terms of if people say it's, oh, it's very expensive. Uh, let's keep in mind that the total budget of CERN to run the large Hadron Collider from the time when it was, uh, first sort of conceptualized through the construction up through the next something like 20 years of when it will run the 15 or so 20 years that number corresponds to a number of uh, you know a dollar amount that is less than something like one to five percent of one year of the u.s military budget so if you're going to tell me that this type of research is expensive then i'm going to point out things that are absolutely completely insanely wastefully expensive compared to that Again, and I, I so yet again, this is just a compare a numerical comparison. Our research has absolutely nothing to do with military whatsoever. In fact, by charter, it can't it can't have that. But just a comparison to keep that in mind. When we say things like this are expensive, they're not expensive. They also pay for themselves many times over. It's been calculated that the construction cost of the Large Hadron Collider for something like every euro that was went into those those construction costs because of the contracts that we had to, had to come from outside companies, it generated something like three euros worth of business. So. This type of thing pays for itself many, many times over. All right. We only got a couple of minutes left, so we got to squeeze this one in here. What is new with the Higgs boson? And there have been also some conspiracy theories there that uh, CERN has been tampering with that. What say you? Oh, God. I, we don't tamper with the Higgs boson at all, right? Again, we don't. We can't collect any Higgs bosons. We can only briefly get them to exist for a tiny fraction of a second before they decay. Um, and again, there are no Higgs bosons around you right now. You'll never hold a Higgs boson in your hand. It's something that we can only uh, we can only coax into existence in our collisions for a tiny fraction of a second. It lives for something like 10 to the power minus 23 seconds before the, it then decays, which is basically nothing. Um, what's up with the Higgs boson right now is that 
one of the big open questions, there's a lot of open questions with the Higgs boson right now. Again, the fascinating thing is that the, the existence of that particle was predicted back in the 60s, but its particular place where it would be found was not, which, which, which is why it you know, took so long, something like 40 years to finally find this thing, because you had to build a large enough collider to be able to find it. And once it was there, you then have a bunch of very other precise predictions, mathematical predictions, that should indicate that this is the Higgs boson. But so then it allows us experimentally take these predictions and compare them to what we observe. And if we see any sort of deviation from that, that could indicate that could be the so-called portal into the new physics, the new particles that we haven't discovered that we hope to discover, you know, like dark matter, things like that. So one of the big things that we'll be looking for with the Higgs boson in this run three of Large Hadron Collider, one of many things, is that we'll be seeing how the Higgs boson talks to and connects to different types of particles. In fact, some of these known as muons, and that we can have a whole discussion about that. But the Higgs is a hot topic all the time. And in fact, it will be for many decades. Dr. James Beecham, always a fascinating conversation with you, and uh, I hope to do it again soon. Particle physicist at the Large Hadron Collider. Best to you, and thanks for getting up uh, early in the morning for us over there in Switzerland. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. All the way from the other side of the world, friends. Uh, remember, weeknights coming September 5th. More details at paranormalradio.com. And I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. God bless you all, and good night. Thank you.